¿Qué pasó, cochinos en sucias? I'm that vato gallo. Welcome to another episode of Sucias are my favorite. Today we have an extra special guest, not just a special guest, but an extra special one today. We have a hypnotherapist by the name of J. Robert Parker. He's a union certified hypnotherapist, founder of Twin Ravens. He's also certified in Capacian hypnosis. That's Capacian with a K if you're listening and double P because I couldn't find it myself. He's also a certified life coach and a certified specialist with transgender issues. Without any further ado, I'd like to welcome my guest, Jay Robert Parker. How are you doing today? I am great. Thanks for having me on. So we, I reached out to, I forgot if I reached out to you, you reached out to me, but these are the posts on Reddit. I don't remember. <laughs> or or uh, Facebook, some group for like podcast guests. And the idea was- uh, Could have been either one. <laughs> Right. And it was something to do with relationships. And mm -hmm. originally I thought when he reached out, it was going to be hypnosis, but he has another angle and I'd like to him to go ahead and explain so that for me. That I, I understand the, the confusion that a hypnotherapist would reach out for relationship stuff. And honestly, when I first got into this, I didn't believe relationships were going to be kind of part of it. But part of Capucinian hypnosis is this system called the ENP system. And there is part of it that is used for hypnotic suggestibility, but there is another aspect of it that is behavior and how we interact with each other. And this ENP system stands for emotional and physical. That doesn't necessarily mean that, so don't let that fool you, but it kind of puts us all on this spectrum. And the way we do our relationships, because of course we've always heard the opposites attract thing, uh, you end up with your opposite. And a lot of the problems in relationships comes from the fact that because we are one thing or the other with its own set of priorities and traits, we don't understand the other end of it. We think everyone thinks like us because that's the only reference we have. So once you learn this system and become aware of it, especially within the confines of a relationship where you can see these traits at play, it becomes easier to adjust your own behavior and for your partner and you to meet in the middle. I, I love that because when, when you were speaking, it, it reminded me kind of, I guess, late 80s, early 90s when Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus came out where it was trying to explain, hey, we're both different. But even yes. further than that, we're both individualistically different. And I think both of us, or at least certainly I have, at least in the past year, with TikToks and people explaining how they see things and do things, a lot of my friends are surprised that my dreams are like fuzzy, black and gray. And the only thing I focus on is what I'm seeing, whether people see like vivid, like they're watching a movie. And I'm like, really? You see like that? So a lot of those things, if we're having those individualistic internal things, how can we expect someone to know our thoughts and read our minds if we're not vocalizing that? So an example of this at play, and I suppose I should kind of explain the traits of the two different sides a little bit and then kind of give it a demonstration of what that looks like in a relationship. So with the physicals, physicals are somebody that uh, is very outgoing. They put they, their physical body forward to protect their emotions. They tend to be very straightforward. They're very outgoing. Um, generally, if you see somebody out at a party socializing and talking to everybody, that is a high physical. Uh, physicals are also people that validate their relationship with 
physical affection, uh, sex, touching, whatever have you. Now, um, and it also should be noted in the scale of priorities to a physical, the relationship itself is the number one priority. And then on the other end, you have the emotionals. And to an emotional relationship isn't about the physical validation the relationship is more about the like the mental intimacy of it emotionals tend to be more reclusive more solitary um and to to, to them in terms of what is important to them it is security they need to know that their their life and their career and their relationship is secure before they can truly be happy. So here's where the problems come up. Um, so let's say you have somebody who is a high physical. They're very outgoing. Uh, they're very, they, you could tell by the way they dress that they're very outgoing. And they are very big on physical affection. And lately, their partner has not been as interested in sex. Well, to, to that person, by their, by their personality, to them, because they don't know any better, or not better, but different, if they stopped being interested in sex with somebody, that would be a sign of rejection. So they begin to feel rejected. Well, where I come in, because and I should say I'm not a couples counselor. I don't work with couples, but if there's a relationship involved, I will convey this information and sometimes speak to each one separately. But the emotional, they're not rejecting that person. To, to them, sex is just not that big of a thing. But again, all they see is this this person, their partner, constantly being physically demanding when they are not very physically giving. Well, again. It's only our perspective. But once you learn, once you teach each party the, hey, so your partner views physical affection as validation. So maybe maybe give them a little bit more physical affection. Maybe try to meet them in the middle a little bit. And then the physical, you tell them, this is not your partner rejecting you. This is just, sex is not a validation. Again, you give them the opposite end and you let them understand each other on that end. So once you know the rules that your partner's playing by, it becomes easier to smooth the bumps over. I just had a sudden flash of why my first marriage just crashed and burned. I mean, uh -huh. yeah, it was that I cheated a lot, but my excuse was, okay, you're not giving it to me, so I'm gonna go get it somewhere else. And that is repeated so often in physical men. Exactly. Yes. And she, of course, she didn't want to do anything or initiate anything because she still didn't have, now in hindsight, realizing she didn't have the security that I was going to be with her and, mm -hmm. and only her. And it did bother her that I was sleeping with other women, but it bothered her more that I was giving some type of emotion or connection yes. with the other one. And I'm just like, I'm just saying words to her to get her to sleep with me. It's not like I really mean anything to her. I mean the <laughs> words that I say to you. But of course, if I lie to one, I'm clearly lying to the other. And that is just like a snowball thing that just, I don't know why we stayed together for nine years, but alas. Determination. <laughs> but but that's a, that's a clear example of it. There was no, there's no book that gives us these rules. And this is, this even goes into the suggestibility portion because the E and the P have distinct traits with suggestibility. 
Uh, and just because you're a physical in terms of behavior doesn't necessarily mean you're a physical in terms of suggestibility. And if you're not, that points to something else entirely. Um, the, the program that I attended to be a hypnotherapist is uh, uh, detailed. Uh, <laughs> hypnotherapy is an unregulated profession. So it is entirely possible for somebody to go pay $20 for a new Demi course and bust that out in a weekend, call themselves a hypnotherapist. Uh, I attended a 720-hour postgraduate college program at HMI College for Hypnotherapy. I am a certified master hypnotist from the local union 472. It's a hypnotherapist union. Uh, they have education prerequisites to be able to even get membership from them. And so it wasn't just, as you see, trancing someone and telling them to stop smoking. There is behavior to it. There is psychology to it. There are all these intimate ways in the way we think. And a lot of that, at least speaking for me personally and many of my peers and clients, when this system is learned, especially specifically about yourself, where you lay on this, and what that means in terms of the way that you process information and your needs and the way you express yourself. Being able to understand that for you and also that for other people. It goes for more, for more than just relationships. Yes, it is very useful within the confines of a romantic relationship, but also within society, social interaction. I mean... So I'm high emotional, uh, so high emotional that on the suggestibility scale, I'm ranked as something different, but also in terms of behavior and speaking for myself, I am very antisocial and I've always been, uh, if you take me to a party, I am going to stick to the wall or go hang out and do whatever outside, uh, I've always been very, very head ruled. I've lived in my head a lot. And for the longest time, I kind of thought there was something wrong with me. Like, I don't really enjoy interacting with groups of people. And I don't understand people who do. So it makes me think there's something wrong. Well, when I learned this and when I went to school, I, I started hearing the, the traits of somebody who was a high emotional and it was like they were listing off my worries in life like each of those traits wasn't me being unusual it was simply traits of a high emotional and in that i also came to understand physicals and these people who previously were very strange to me because I saw them going out and socializing and dear God, how could you talk to a stranger like that? But it made me get it because it's like these people aren't unusual. There's nothing unusual about the way I think that's these people are this category of people. I am a different category of person and we kind of need each other to coexist because in the suggestibility, there's a middle of the road. You can be a different type of suggestibility that is dead center. There is no middle of the road with the behavior scale. 
Um, it is suggestibility for hypnosis, but that implies that somebody might not be able to be hypnotized. Uh, everyone can be. It's a natural process. Uh, you are in hypnosis twice a day, uh, 30 minutes before you go to bed, 30 minutes after you wake up. So if you ever want to know what trance is like when you get up in the morning, but you're, you're conscious, but you haven't really moved out of bed at all. And it's that very relaxed moment where your thoughts kind of drift and you just kind of put things together for the day. That's trance. That is the high theta state of trance. Um, so the work I do is using that state, but guided. So suggestibility on the ENP scale, we've kind of talked about the physicals. Uh, well, first of all, suggestibility doesn't mean your ability. It means the language that has to be used to push you into the state. And the physicals, uh, you must speak to them literally and use direct suggestion. So your eyes are getting heavy. You are beginning to feel this way. Very direct empirical statements. Um, whereas with an emotional, you cannot do that. You have to use inferred and indirect statements. Um, you you may begin to feel your eyes getting heavy. If you do, feel free to let them close whenever you're comfortable. Permissive statements. You infer these things are happening. So, and in between that, you have something interesting. You have a synambulist, which if you've heard that before, you've heard it to refer to sleepwalking. Um, and that's kind of accurate as to what this is. Synambulists are the reason that stage hypnosis exists. Um, they are between 5 to 10% of the population, and they are the most hypnotically suggestible. Uh, they will basically walk around in hypnosis, hyper-suggestible. If you've ever seen somebody that everything kind of gets to them, they don't seem to have a filter in terms of what they experience, there's a good chance that was a synambulist because everything is going directly to their subconscious and they react very extremely sometimes, but there you could also put them into a trance state, sometimes literally at the drop of a hat. And sometimes these, these people, whenever someone comes in to, to be a client and I see their synambulist, I have to teach them to get out of it, even to begin with that they might have been walking around their entire life in this trance state. But I have to teach them to, to get out of it, to be less vulnerable to, these, to this input, basically, is what it is. Because everything around us, uh, sound, sight, smell, everything, is what we call a message unit. And if you get too many of those, you overload. And you go into your, what's called your sympathetic nervous system response, which is your fight flight. And if you can't go into that, your parasympathetic kicks in, which is kind of what we utilize for trance. But otherwise, if it's unguided and you're just out there doing this, not even being aware of it, um, it can make make you very suggestible to a lot of things, make it very difficult to kind of go about your life. Because one of the things I stress to clients, not to turn ominous or anything, is uh, there is like a game being played that nobody 
one knows the rules for or two is aware is even being played and it's being played by advertising agencies the media everything in the world around you because they are aware of this hyper suggestible state they are aware of what puts you in it they are aware of how to speak to your subconscious and if you don't know there's a game even being played if you don't know these things are happening there's absolutely no way to defend against them because that was one of the things i started to realize as i became personally experienced in this is these principles that seem like this niche thing are all around you everywhere it's in how we interact it's in how we're spoken to in the world around us it's in how our world's even set up and once you become familiar with the state and the principles around it it becomes easier to go about your day-to-day -day life because once you know about your suggestibility and others your behavior and others it, your relationships become easier understanding other people and where they're coming from which i believe is a massively vital thing in society becomes easier because you start to learn it's it's not about where i come from because that's that's my perspective it's about where you come from as well and them and them and them and their own unique perspectives and one of the interesting things i've learned because i uh i work remotely i think i've seen maybe two clients in person but other than that i have an international client base so i speak to all these different people from all of these different cultures whose initial experience on the outside is totally different than mine literally coming from another world but in the end once you start breaking down their problems and why they feel about it that way and it's it's kind of shocking because it doesn't matter where you come from or who you are the human experience is the exact same like regardless of culture language even social strata it's the exact same we're all experiencing the exact same thing we're all going through the exact same thing and it was very at least for me very enlightening in terms of my position in the world and everyone else's so there's a lot to unpack there <laughs> sorry i have a tendency to rant so <laughs> oh no 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 it, it is fascinating that's that's why um i would recommend to, men to my listeners go to the website twinravens.org and uh, you have there where you've been interviewed on other podcasts and episodes and you know i spent i think a, a good two two and a half days just listening to that catching up trying to get background information just learning more about hypno uh, hypnotherapy and all the other things and misconceptions along with it and among the things that you unpacked i've mentioned in, in messaging that I, i've drawn a lot of similarities between us like even where uh, there was a time that i was going to be a tattoo apprentice or apprentice under a tattoo artist and then just kind of things fell through and in your history you used to be a tattoo artist just for the oh. listeners who don't know and some of the things that you mentioned, especially like knowing the rules of the game, I fortunately was somewhat aware of it back uh, when I was in the army. Uh, I was in Intel and part of the yes. branch there is yes. PSYOPs, which is yep. disinformation for the enemy, but also disinformation. The game. Or, yeah, the game, <laughs> how to play it, how to manipulate others uh -huh. and how to get people to bend your will. So there's, you know, the physical aspect of it was we're used to seeing like the Marines being um, shock and awe yeah. and 
being um, grabbing the hearts and minds of the enemies, which really they're just saying grab them by the balls and scare them, or yeah. mess with yeah. their minds and control them that way, yeah. or even just manipulate them to, yes. to move their way. Some other things too about like pamphlets being dropped in, in Cuba to, uh-huh. um, to all throughout uh, Fidel's uh, reign. Getting back to like the issue of relationships and just kind of a stereotypical, generalized, um, open-ended statement where males are generally of physicals and females are generally emotionals. Um, what no, would you not rec- all. Well, not all, but at least um, perceptively, like the men are, from, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, just the whole, uh, I guess, mainstream concept of how males and females are. Well, and that's the interesting thing because it, it could be a lot of like you immediately attach these ideas to masculine and feminine, which is culturally what we've done. And the system kind of seeks to detach that. And there's other things at play that add into it. Your culture adds into it. Um, because America is a very physical culture. Uh, and speaking from a, an emotional standpoint, it's difficult where it would be the same thing where if you went to Korea as a, a a physical male, it would be a difficult adjustment because there's a reservation that's there. That's not, it's not normally there. Whereas I'd be right at home. Like everyone minds their own business and no one talks to me. This is sweet, but it's just kind of, I, I very much encourage not to attach any gender to it. And because there is, there's not even a, a a division that could be seen. I've seen high emotional men. I've seen high emotional women, and even numbers. And the only constant that is seen is uh, a high emotional is going to end up with a high emo- uh, physical. A low emotional is going to end up with a low physical, and vice versa. That's really the only pattern that can be attributed here. That's interesting. So with um, with the dichotomy between the, the relationship, because usually relationships will be mm-hmm. you know, the opposites, as you say, yeah. what would you recommend for emotionals to be able to reach out to physicals or be able to communicate better with physicals and vice versa? Well, if, if you've heard everything I had to say and you're like, oh, I'm definitely one of these or the other, if you are an emotional... <laughs> Uh, the advice I give you is going to be painful, uh, which is acknowledge that you are trying to interact with people that are very physically minded, that that touch and, and physical presence and shows of affection are important, that you want to believe that just in-depth, in, engaged conversation will be enough to forge relationship, but recognize that these people, something is a different thing that matters. And that if you are in a relationship with someone that you you know, you're an emotional and you know, they're a physical before there's an issue, make sure that you are putting yourself out there to fulfill what they need according to this system, which is physical affection and attention basically and at the same time because not communicating your needs is a big emotional trait make sure you communicate what you need and on the other end my advice for a physical is just to to acknowledge that 
basically the more outgoing you are, the more introverted your partner is going to be because we meet on extremes and that they, they are not like you. They are not as physically minded and that sex is not speaking as an emotional male. Sex is not a huge thing. Like, yeah, it's fun. It's, it's cool and all, but that's not really where the relationship is for me. Like, if I don't want to say the sex can be garbage as long as like the the engagement is is good, but that's kind of the case. I could deal with a less than perfect sex life in exchange for uh, an optimal engagement on like an intellectual level. And again, for both of these types of people, because we're all one of the two. The most important thing I could say is communicate, recognize that partner does not think like you, does not hold the same priorities as you. And it again, it's got nothing to do with male or female, it has nothing to do with gay, straight, any configuration of anything it will always fall into these two categories. Communicate with each other clearly about what you need and what is important to you. And I hope that anyone listening to this listens with their partner and has this discussion. Make a game of it. Sit down and figure out what you are. There's, there's an online test you can take. Uh, I, like the, I like it for suggestibility. I'm not the biggest fan of it for the behavior because it's, it's very biased on how you feel at the time where it, the, the only way to get an accurate answer as to what you are is I have four or five core paths I go down to figure out parts of your past. Uh, and it's things like family of origin, um, your, your past relationship history. Because if, if you do nothing but read books and have done nothing but date cheerleaders most of your life, it's a safe bet. You're an emotional. Uh, and it's just a matter of determining how far on that scale you actually are. And that's that's more readily done by, by a, an extended relationship as a client because that kind of develops over time. I have my initial impressions uh, that I will get through just through the course of that client relationship and that kind of grows. And I would say probably after three or four sessions at most, I've got a pretty good idea of where someone falls on that. And if it's something that if you sit down and consider realistically, you can figure out on your own and it's, it's, there's no external ways to tell. And some people can be tricky because there are things called incongruencies in defenses, which is um, a defense is where you will drop one of your traits to to appear more one of the other. And an incongruence is where you will take on an extra trait to be able to appear one or the other. Um, and an example for that is 
uh, I used to have a major incongruence because, as you said, I used to be a tattoo artist and I'm high emotional. Uh, I had to fake my interactions with people, with my my excitement in the interaction, my engagement in the, in the interaction. I had to give myself these high physical traits to be able to fit in my chosen industry. And in retrospect, that in itself led to a lot of problems down the line because you can't do that. It, it kind of goes down to you have to be true to yourself. You can't literally being fake is damaging to your psychology. Uh, and I don't know who needs to hear that, but somebody needs to hear that out there, that, that putting yourself out as something that you are not is, is actually bad for you. That, that incongruence, that emotional or physical defense it will create problems down the line. If it hasn't already created problems, which likely if you take a realistic look at your life, if you've been living like that, it has. So that's always something that's, it, it comes up a lot, specifically with emotional men that I work with. Because again, if in America, these traits that we possess kind of frowned upon socially. Like you're expected to be outgoing. You're expected to be friendly and interact and communicate and all of this stuff. And pass. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I, I, and I guess what I, what I really love is that you're getting more in depth than what I can do or articulate better with my podcast. Part of the reasoning is for, or I guess my tagline is, uh, dating and relationship advice with the kink twist, but the kink twist isn't so much of people uh, letting out their kinky side or sharing their kinky side with, with their partner, but more of how kinksters have a solid base of communication before they engage mm -hmm. in anything else. And that's something that I push out because as I've noticed, as even though I interact with vanilla females, um, being able to let them know, hey, you know what, I'm having a bad day. You know, just, just leave me alone for a couple hours, which is a big deal for me being a physical guy, you know, being, being the type yeah. of guy that's just yeah. going to push through it or ignore it and not deal with it yep. and still interact with her because I want to get it in versus addressing whatever is in my mind. More often than not, I can't figure out what's bothering me. I just know I'm in a bad mood and I can recognize it and communicate that. And I usually tell that with my partners. I tell them, Hey, look, you know what? If you're not feeling good, you don't want to do anything. That's fine. I'm okay. Just sitting here and just watching TV with you. Yeah. I'd rather do something else. But that's not the entire basis of this relationship. Granted, it's a big part of it. It's a big deal to have that communication and let your partner know what you're feeling, what's bothering you. Even if you can't um, pinpoint it or, or address it, I, I'm mad. But you can't say, oh, I'm mad because somebody cut me off in the middle of the road and it bugged me now that I got home. You know, because you don't recognize it in the moment. You just know you get mad at things. Uh, my advice to that is, um, this is what I do with my clients. If if you ever cannot figure out something like, why am I mad? Uh, we, and I don't like this term for it because it's just kind of, but we call it chunking. And what it is, is you start breaking it down. Like, Oh, I feel mad. Why do you feel mad? I don't know. Well, when you start being mad, uh, what, what is irritating you right now and start breaking down, this problem in its smaller and smaller pieces 
And eventually you'll get back to, oh, this dude cut me off in traffic at the wrong time. And that really pissed me off. And it's so much of my work is reframing perspective and focusing people's attention onto a subject because so often we we feel a certain way and when asked about it we we say i don't know i'm just pissed or i'm just sad or something like that and you're not unless you have a severe chemical imbalance uh you're not just feeling a certain way because reasons there is a distinct reason why why are you sad well start tracing it back start at the beginning of your day were you sad when you woke up no were you sad in the afternoon when you went to lunch no were you sad when you got home at two so what happened between noon and two that made you so sad and these are things that i do but these are things that you can do as well i encourage all of my clients write stuff down like if if you want to break down why you feel a certain way write it down and start breaking it down like a graph a lot of i don't want to use the word preach but kind of a lot of what i preach is uh mindfulness and what that is is being aware of your thoughts of your behaviors and actions if if you're prone to flying off the handle break that down what's making you fly off the handle like and there's a difference between understanding and fixing but understanding is the first step to fixing which is pretty much the my key role in terms of therapy is in the rapid understanding because for example and this is one of my favorite stories and i've gotten her permission to tell it so um I had this client and she came to me to stop smoking. And first of all, I did my usual. I asked her, why do you want to stop smoking? Because that's important. If it's because my boss is on my ass, it's not a great reason. If it's because I want to quit for my kids, because I feel like I need to do this for my health. That's a good reason. That means you have truly made that choice. Um, now, um, she she had tried all these different ways and it would always work for a week or two and she would go back and what i tell people in that case because it's the same for stop smoking weight loss fears traumas is this thing is never going to go away until your subconscious reasoning as to why is addressed why did you start smoking why did you start overeating why are you afraid of this thing um and for her, after a couple of sessions, it came out that as a young girl, she was very, very, very close to her grandfather. Um, and he died when she was very young. But the cigarettes that she chose to smoke were Marlboro Reds, the same cigarettes that her grandfather smoked because the smell subconsciously reminded her of this intense bond that she had with her grandfather and that's why she could never let it go so we addressed this association we changed it to something else we changed it to 
she remembered the cologne that he wore. And that became the association. So she would just like keep that in her purse and never smoke after that because there was no longer that connection, that association. So we, it's, it's sometimes the most roundabout reason for why we are the way that we are. But everything can be traced back. I've got this really strange argument that I've proposed before that you've probably heard on the podcast, which is we don't have free will mm-hmm. because everything that we do is this product of association and is nothing but our reaction based upon that association. Well, with hypnosis and hypnotherapy, you are consciously and willfully changing your thoughts and behaviors. That is free will. You are making an active choice to feel a different way. Because let's say uh, you're afraid of dogs. Um, Stop. Don't do it anymore. Stop being afraid. You can't because it's not a conscious thing. You don't want to be afraid of dogs. If you could choose not to be, you likely would. But why can't you change? Why can't you choose to not be afraid of dogs? Because it's that subconscious association. And conscious, the conscious cannot affect the subconscious. Um, there is what's called the critical filter in between the two, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's the filtering process to your subconscious mind to and from. And the trance state takes down that filter. So you are able to directly give suggestions to the subconscious. And that's kind of where the specialty of my job comes in is I kind of know this specialized language of the subconscious. I know how to speak to it to slowly guide your thinking because we cannot be hypnotized to do something we're morally opposed to do. I can't tell you in hypnosis to pick up a gun and shoot somebody because you, you are still consciously aware that that's, that's morally wrong, that has consequences, you can't do it. You are fully awake and aware during hypnosis. Um, how much you remember is kind of up in the air, but some people remember everything. Some people remember absolutely nothing. But these... That's why it's important with the smoking for me to ask you, why do you want to quit? Because if I could hypnotize somebody into doing something they didn't want to do, that question would never be necessary. Like, I just, oh, you want to quit? Cool. Let's do this. And it doesn't matter the reason why. But there has to be that conscious desire to. So your subconscious is prepared to accept those suggestions to not smoke, to slowly pull away from this behavior. Because it's not a magic wave of the wand type thing. I have done it in a single session, but please no one hold me to that. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you brought up free will, as, I, as I've heard on other episodes you've been on or podcasts you've been on. Um, and and, and invert, an inverted, a different perspective of uh, lack of free will, um, coming from like a more of a socioeconomic standard, is that... You know, you may say, hey, you have your favorite style of shirt. Say you're into uh, T-shirts, but you really want a Hawaiian print T-shirt 
that's loose with like a Henley um, button up, you know, from halfway up on the neck, right? You're not going to find that because no one makes that because you're the only person that might want that. And so it's the market that decides more of what's available versus what you have the freedom of choice to get because you have limited choices of what's in the world. There's just so many choices. You sometimes feel like there's unlimited, but like. But when you try to drill down down to to what you want, you're not going to get it because, oh, well, I guess I'll settle for this because, you know, it has this style, but it doesn't have the print I want or the colors I want. And so there's a lot of settling, but we don't recognize it as settling or accepting what's there. And, you know, I think it goes again to associations where you associate, hey, you want something, but then you digress. Okay, well, I'll take this as an alternative. And you're changing your perception. You're changing your um, associations with things, too. Exactly. And as like, if I had a client that was telling me this, my, my response would be, don't, don't let what is available mandate your wants. If you truly want this, we live in 2021, get on Etsy, talk to some people, have this thing made. And that's kind of a, a good example, I guess, of the time that we live in. Because in the same way that you can live a completely custom life with what you wear and what you have, you could do that with your mind too. And it's not to say that hypnosis is brand new. It's been around for a while. It's just now it's entered into this isn't metaphysical. This isn't theoretical. This is... I have a huge stack of scientific research that I love to throw at people because <laughs> like if somebody comes to me and they want a consultation and they ask, um, I'm interested in weight loss. Uh, can you help me? I will respond with, yes, I absolutely can. Here's a couple of research papers that explain how hypnosis can and does help with weight loss. I, I like to, to validate my statements with scientific evidence because I recognize that some of the claims that I make for the potential of what I do sound fantastic. Like the list of the things I could help with is long. Like everything from combat PTSD to taking a few swings off your golf game. It's just intensely varied. And but it's all kind of the same. It's all our associations. It's all why we think the way we do. And for an example, I say golf and it seems like, oh, how's hypnotherapy going to help with a golf game? Well, anyone that plays a sport or a game knows that the performance of that is all in your head. It's all confidence and knowing that you can do this and that you've practiced this and that confidence normally comes with repetition but what if you had some of that without it what if you had this confidence in your action in this visualization through another type of training um one of the things i've always been interested in doing that i've not had good reception with is um putting a fighter through hypnotherapy because combat sports are such a, a mental thing. 
maintaining your calm, maintaining your strategy, remembering your training, that hypnotherapy could provide somebody with an edge. What if you had a hypnotic trigger put in, a post-hypnotic trigger, that when you get hit, this increases your adrenaline? What if every time you get hit, you feel less pain? And there's all of these interesting anchors and suggestions that I could put in that I believe specifically for uh, a mixed martial artist or a boxer would give them an advantage. It's just unfortunate that every time I've approached this subject on Reddit or Facebook or anything like that, it doesn't go well. <laughs> so I've kind of given up on it. Yeah, I I find it frustrating because there's a lot of things that we, we just don't understand. Well, let me phrase that. Uh, the lay person or the average person doesn't know or understand a lot about the mind. But I know that the mind can control so much in the body where mm -hmm. um, DID personalities, one could have diabetes. One personality pops mm -hmm. up and they got to take insulin. All the others don't. How is it that the mind can have one personality that has to take insulin or they'll go into shock, they'll, they'll die or whatever. And you have someone else that can- Shut off. Yeah, it'll, shut, it'll off. shut off and they can go ahead and just chow down on buckets of you know powdered donuts uh -huh. and all kinds of things and not be affected in the least. And so these things have been interesting, especially with NLP. And at the same time, I have this dichotomy in me that I really want the world to be a better place. I really want people to understand, be more communicative and- as I, you know, it took me almost 40 years to realize, hey, you know, don't be an asshole, be nicer to people. And on the other hand, I Same. fucking love Schadenfreude. I love the misery of others. Yeah. And if I get to inflict it, oh my God. So I know with NLP, I mean, I'd be dangerous. I, I No, 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 I can't. Well, funny thing about NLP, and I always like presenting this, uh, Bandler, uh, and I forget their partner's name, the people that made NLP. Do you know who they learned NLP from? No. How, where they where they created the structure of NLP from, which anyone that's listening, NLP's neuro linguistic programming. Uh, Dr. Milton Erickson, the foremost hypnotherapist of the time. Uh, NLP is essentially bootleg hypnotherapy, quite literally. They observed the way Milton Erickson interacted with his clientele, and they created this system based upon his suggestions and his workings in hypnosis to apply strictly to success. So NLP is just boiled down hypnosis and hypnotherapy. Milton hmm. Erickson was, as a side note, an absolute genius. I have a couple of his books, just of his sessions and how he worked. And you could very clearly see like some of the NLP principles at play and in his sessions and what he's doing because he created, um, this debate will be created it, but he utilized conversational hypnosis. Um, he didn't have an induction. He didn't have this distinct process. It was a very casual exchange with him because you don't need a hypnotic induction to, to speak to the subconscious. If anyone's ever seen a movie that they became invested in, uh, um, suspension of disbelief, you consciously know what you're watching is fake. You know this, yet you still have a visceral emotional reaction. Why? It's because 
your, your subconscious doesn't understand lies. It doesn't understand deception. Everything is black and white to it. That's why um, things like gaslighting work on people. Because, like, you could tell someone they're crazy all day, and, yeah, you consciously know that you're not and that you are right in this situation, but your voice in your head starts to act up, starts to be like, well, what if we are crazy? And it's that same thing. Uh, that literal interpretation by your subconscious is the same reason I discourage negative self-talk with people. Uh, what that means is, like, don't tell your... Don't tell it like don't voice the words of oh I suck or I'm just too dumb to do this or something like that because your subconscious hears that and it doesn't have a sense of humor it it literally interprets that so it, I, I guess the best way to put it is your subconscious doesn't differentiate between the imagined and reality um, which is why some people can get far too absorbed in things because after a while that subconscious acceptance of it kind of starts to bleed through into reality and that's a level of things i can't deal with i am not licensed for that yeah on on that i do often tell uh friends and family and, and a few times on the episode or the podcast is you know people do the self manifestation where they oh I'm having a bad day you know first thing they wake up and like no you're just having a bad moment how you react to it's going to define you know your, your mental state like you say I, I don't use mental state I say something else which I can't think of at the moment but usually it's like hey no you just had a bad moment it's it's, it's important because you said when I wake up I say I'm going to have a bad day well like I said thirty minutes after you wake up you're in hypnosis so when you when you wake up tell yourself I'm going to have a bad day. That is quite literally a hypnotic suggestion you are implanting into yourself. And it is going to affect the lens of your day for the whole day. So if you tell yourself this is going to be a bad day, that's all you're going to see. When all you have is a hammer, the whole world looks like nails. So it's you, this, the, the things that you tell yourself when you wake up in those moments where you first regain consciousness are so important. And I don't like to sound like a cheerleader and I'm not too big on the all positive all the time, but it is very important that you tell yourself that you give yourself support. One of the most interesting things I was taught that resonated with me so deeply was all being an adult means is being your own parent. And yeah, it's so wow. weird the more you think about it. Oh, but like, yeah. think about everything about being an adult and what it takes to be an adult. All that is is the voice in your head going, no, man, you got to do that. Like, you have to get this done. If you get this done, we could go home and have a beer. Like, you're, you're treating yourself as you would your child. And once you realize this, there's other things that have to come into play. Because if you are your own parent, how are you treating yourself? Like, are you being understanding 
and caring as you would want a parent to be? Or are you being very unforgiving with yourself? And because everyone talks about how, oh, the voice of my parents in my head told me to do this. Or I, I heard my mom's voice. You want to think that was, that was you being your own parent. Huh. That was you being the adult. Because we're all, and this is a big thing I've come to learn. We're all kids still. Like, we, we're all still scared, emotional children at our core. Who you were when you were seven is still a part of you deep down. And everything else is just layers to that. So kind of what next time somebody out there wants to beat themselves up over something, think about it like that. Think about it like you're a kid that just kind of messed up. How would you want a parent to react to that? Would you want to, them to beat up the kid as much as you were beating yourself up? And it's an interesting perspective because it starts making you think about things like self-care, self-esteem, uh, the way you talk to and treat other people because it really comes down to that. Like so much of what's wrong today, I firmly believe is where we've gotten in terms of our relationship to other people. We, we don't understand each other and we no longer make the effort to. Yeah. And that kind of scares me. Mm -hmm. I don't like that. That's weird. <laughs> yeah. With all the Facebook posts of, you know, friends, acquaintances of like, uh, if you don't agree with me or my political view or what this political post is and unfriend me because you're not my friend. I'm like, where's the understanding? Remember when we were growing up, you were told the two things you never talk about with somebody in civilized conversation for politics and religion and, and, and salary. So, or money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but now it seems like that's all people talk about. Like we've forgotten how to be human for the sake of identity politics. And it's like I said, I've worked with people from across the rainbow and we're all the same. Let me assure you that in, in our deep mental mind, we are all the same. Every one of us. We all have the same experiences at one point or another. We all have the same fears. We all have the same wants. Um, a lot of it just boils down to we, we, we're afraid of what we don't understand. And... I see an interesting amount of it because I, uh, I study Russian and the reaction in public. If like one of my Russian friends calls and I answer the phone, ah, привет, как у вас дела, Everyone stops and looks at me like I'm about to pull out a flamethrower and torch this motherfucker. And it's odd to me. And I learning, that's kind of kind of why I started learning another language is one. I, I got tired of just being able to say I can only speak one language that became kind of like a point of shame to me. Uh, Cause all of these friends that I had all spoke two, three, one dude spoke six languages. And like, I got to thinking about how I'm supposed to be altering my viewpoint 
and changing my perspective. And as someone that speaks another language, your view, the way you express yourself and view the world is different uh-huh. when the words that you use are different. And there's an understanding that comes with that. That's why I think one of the strangest things is the the demand that everyone only speak English. Like, mm-hmm. why not learn another language? Well, that's it's fun. Yeah, like learning learning and knowing another language is a blast. So, like, why limit yourself? Yeah, the, the secondary language. Yeah, what I liked about it, especially like when you said somnambulist in Spanish, a lot of English scientific yeah. words are everyday words like somnambulist. That's what we call sleepwalking. We don't call it sleepwalking, it's sonambulo. Um, chewing okay. your food, we say masticate, where if you say it in English, they're going to think you're rubbing one out. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of things, you know, placate yourself, behave. Uh, masticos, yeah. Um, and interestingly enough, there's similarities between Russian and Spanish mm-hmm. because I came from Texas. So I, I learned a fair bit of Spanish because that's what you do. Uh, Noche, nochi, mm-hmm. Russian, same thing. Uh, ya, yo, same thing. I, me, my, that type of thing. And there's just endless similarities. And it's interesting because you start to see things like that. It's like with Spanish and all, and I know a little bit of German. Yeah. You start to see, oh, this this all kind of connects. Yeah. Like it's funny when I speak German in front of like, you know, just random uh, German tourists and especially in Mexico when I go and they just look at me, wait, wait a minute. What you speak English and, or speak English and German? Like, what are you doing? Like, well, actually I'm American, but you know, yeah. like, Oh shit. You speak more than one language. Like, yeah. Yeah. So. It's a shocking thing. Mm-hmm. And like from my end, the Russians that I speak to, they, they're just tickled that I'm an American that's learning their language because to them, like I'm supposed to hate them. Why are you learning my language? Because like, it's, that's the whole narrative. I'm like, it's, Oh, like, and I decide I want to learn another language. And like, in retrospect, I should have kept going with German because I take two years of it in high school, but that would have been the easy thing. Mm -hmm. And I can't do that shit. (laughs) Is there a Russian community near you? At all. Cause I mean, where you're at, it, it seems like you're just kind of like, you know, very vanilla, very boxed in as to what is expected oh, yeah. where you're at. Oh yeah. I am a complete anomaly where I am in the country. Um, I, uh, I normally don't show this on podcast, but it'd be interesting as an example to show here. I have a lot of tattoos. Mm-hmm. Like it's like that on both arms. And, I'm heavily tattooed. I speak a foreign language. Uh, I do a very unusual job that half the people I meet around here are pretty sure is witchcraft. And uh, I have been accused of witchcraft. That is not a joke, by the way. I have actively been accused of witchcraft. I thought it was a joke. So my response was, I prefer the term sorcery. (laughs) And... uh, that did not fucking land well. Let me tell you that. <laughs> oh my goodness. But uh yeah, so that got awkward. But I it's part of why I appreciate working remotely. And if I didn't have the ability to communicate outside of my bubble, I don't know what I would do. 
because it's important to me because of what I'm used to, to be around other people of other cultures and ways of thinking. And man, where I'm at is some white bread shit. I live in a town of, I think it's 1100 people. And there's like, uh, four Mexicans and an Asian. Like I know all of the Mexicans in my town because they own the uh, Chinese restaurant. <laughs> it's oh, good man. food too. It, is that one of those uh, Asian restaurants that's like Chinese, Vietnamese, and sushi? Or is it just uh, one? No, one, it's okay. one of those Asian restaurants that's uh, Chinese, Mexican, and a hamburger. Oh, jeez. Uh, <laughs> Oh man, that's that's tough. <laughs> it's all right though, but it's it's it was very much a culture shock to me. So I decided I wanted to get away from the big city, and I did. I really did, and I uh, I kind of think that's part of why I decided I wanted to learn a foreign language is I just needed something extreme. Something, something that wasn't this. And so once I started making friends with people from other countries, learning another language, it kind of gave me that, that separation. Um, and it's neat because I, I, I don't know enough Russian to be a hypnotherapist in Russian yet. That is a goal, hmm. is to be able to market to another country. And eventually, I, I would like to go back and brush up on my German and brush up on my Spanish and have all of those languages up to a functional capacity. Cause that's, that's all at this point, my, my words are my selling point. Mm -hmm. So if I can add languages to that, I, I increase the number of clients that I can have. That's at least my thinking with it. Right. Speaking of clients, where do you see, since you're international, where do you see where it's hypnotherapy is more accepting or more common or more, um, oh, hey, yeah, I need to do that versus other types of therapy? Um, other than here, uh, I have a large Indian client base. Huh. Um, a lot of alternative medicine is popular there. Um, and they're increasingly they're a big fan of hypnotherapy because a lot of the research that's been done towards it comes out of uh new delhi hmm, okay um I'm trying to think too well to the um australians oddly enough um the Austra australia and new zealand like oceanic area it's pretty big on it new zealand a little more than australia um and I do have some clients in the UK. Interestingly enough, most of my clients for the UK tend to be for uh, confidence stuff. Like they they more self-esteem or more assertion. Like, and that doesn't tend to be the case. Um, I'm trying to think of where else. There are, apparently in Taiwan, it's really big. Not in China, but in Taiwan itself, hypnotherapy is really catching on, hmm. which kind of surprised me until I met a Taiwanese hypnotherapist and he was like, oh yeah, it's real big. Um, there's a lot, like the, I'm looking through my research, most of the research for hypnotherapy is coming out of Italy and 
Denmark and Germany. A little everywhere, but a lot of the reports I see are coming from those three places. Um, Germany specifically, because they have a major research hospital. So, but my my research, because it cites its source in every one, it's wild how varied it is. Because you would think, oh, hypnotherapy research, it's all going to come from like Aunt June's Institute of Crystals and Essential Oils. <laughs> and uh, it doesn't. It's like from research hospitals in Denmark and from respected psychiatric institutions in Italy. And like, it's it's valid research. And if anyone listening right now, one of the, if anyone out there can honestly say, oh, I'm not sure about hypnotherapy or hypnosis, I gleefully have far too much information for you because at this point, it's not a thing that should be, should or can be doubted because I... I could hook you to a uh, galvanic skin response meter, an EKG, and a heart rate monitor. And I can show you when you went into hypnosis, when you accepted a suggestion, when you rejected a suggestion, how deep in hypnosis you actually were. Like, it's a replicatable thing. Uh, the tricky, interesting thing comes in I can, I, I have reproducible effects. I have predictable effects, but what am I working with? Like we, what, what's consciousness? What is the mind? Why are we thinking right now? Like we don't know. So I have this tool that we know what it does. We know what it can do, but as to what, the, what the system is that we're working on, no, science doesn't have that answer. Like we're working on it. We may or may not have it ever, but like until we can answer the question of why are we, uh, we can't really answer the question of what is hypnosis and hypnotherapy because all of these models we have of our mind and of the way the brain works, it's theoretical. It's just based on what we see. And that theory is broken all the time. So, I know I, I know the work I'm capable of doing. I just, I think that's what fascinates me so much about it is because this job is a puzzle. Like I, I love sitting down with client records when I get a new client or even an old client, because it's this, it's like this logic puzzle that I have to work out. Where is this feeling coming from? What could it potentially be? What, based on all this information, does that make me believe? And then dig a little deeper with hypnosis. And the results have been astonishing. Did you listen to the podcast, I Trance the Spy? Uh, something about the real 007. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I did, I did. Yeah. Oh, the podcast was mm -hmm. what, yeah, the what the Fear. Yeah, What the Fear, yes. Yeah. Some background to that that was not on the podcast that was absolutely fascinating. One, I wish the physical reactions could have been shown. That was a very expressive hypnosis. Uh, that entire thing only took 20 minutes. I removed his fear of heights on the spot. And one of the reasons I was able to do that is, one, his training, because once you establish authority with someone like that, 
their subconscious is naturally going to follow you. But the part of the story that didn't make it to the podcast is uh, that fear wasn't his. Um, he, when he went back and, and anyone that's kind of lost on this, go to my website, watch something called the what the mm-hmm. fear podcast. It's wild. Uh, you can actually hear me do uh, a hypnosis session. But so while he was getting ready to make the jump, the kid before him screamed his head off, terrified. And he felt that. And so for years, he forgot about that kid. And he'd been carrying this fear with him for decades, not even realizing it's not mine. I don't. It's, it's someone else's. And so in that moment, being able to remember that through that recall and hypnosis, you just let it go. I literally watched the man hang off a balcony. Scared the shit out of me. Like, <laughs> now, for, for the listeners, the that podcast in particular, I want to say the, the host had like a British accent and he also the voice was distorted. So it was hard to kind of get through. Oh, that's not the host. That the, the, was the... Um, the, the yeah, the, the subject. subject. Yeah. He was German and had his voice okay. distorted. Uh, but yeah, it could be a little hard to to understand mm-hmm. at times. But um, he gets the point across, and it's that was a scary man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not gonna lie, but at the same time, I'm glad that I could help him because working with specifically like combat PTSD is something that I consider very mm-hmm. important because the the fact that we don't give our veterans that support, uh, to me, it's not about your politics or where you stand on the war at the time or anything about that. It's about these are men and women who have experienced something traumatic and they are not getting the help that they need. And it was a thrilling moment for me once I realized I have a toolkit that can help these people. And uh, I'm currently working on um, registering with the VA Mm. as a hypnotherapist because they are actually officially using hypnotherapy to treat combat PTSD. Yeah, I uh, I, uh, I really appreciate that as as a veteran myself and having seen a lot of brothers end up as a statistic with the 22. That's... yeah. Yeah. Frustrating, but also, like, like I said, I just have a, a as an autodidact, I, I have a keen interest in a lot of different things, especially specifically with the mind or mental things, with psilocybin mm-hmm. research, um, like I said, NLP oh, and yeah. all these other things. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's frustrating to see that, hey, we have uh, reports, tests. There's so many things we could use. That show that, hey, X, Y, and Z works, but because it's, you know, considered as class one or schedule one X, Y, or Z by the DEA for whatever reason – they just, oh no, it's, it's illegal. You can't do it. And you have to go somewhere else or deal with it. Yeah, things. we will prescribe you for pain, a drug that is more powerful than heroin, but we will not allow for the microdosing of psilocybin mm-hmm. when it might save someone's life. I don't know if you've ever microdosed mm-hmm. before. I have as an experiment and do shit. Like, yeah, no, no. Don't, anyone out there that's thinking about doing it, that's scared of like, oh, I might trip. You're not gonna see anything i don't even think i've noticed a tingle with it um and and so personally my my belief with drugs growing up up until like my little mid-30s was 
stay away. I, uh, I saw drugs and medicine as a weakness. So if you had to take medicine mm-hmm. for, for pain, like uh, even when I broke my hip, I was prescribed, uh, I think, uh, three separate 30-day supplies of oxy. I only used three, and I, I didn't touch it because my belief is that, okay, if I take drugs, I'm weak. And, and you know the the you know I'm, I'm weak I'm a fag and I'm I'm referring to like the '80s term of being a pussy or whatever you know that kind of yeah. thing. Um, okay. But it wasn't until I just couldn't endure the pain anymore. Where now I, I take a lot of well, not a lot but I, I frequently take CBD to deal with pain and occasionally I'll take some edibles just to enjoy my night. And with that, I'll, you know what? Psilocybin. That's just a dried up plant. So is weed. Let me give that a try. And uh, yeah. finally had a trip. Uh, my first one. And it was pretty cool, interesting, but I'm like, yeah, that's not for me. I'll just stick with microdosing. And I try to do that. Um, there's a, a schedule or pattern. You know who Paul Stamets yes, is, yeah, right? His whole thing of- um, Yeah, Paul Stamets mm-hmm. is a genius, an absolute genius. The the lion's mane, yes. niacin, and psilocybin, that, that combination and, you know, on and off. And I haven't done it in a few weeks just because I wanted to maintain some focus, but I do notice, or have noticed a little bit more- creativity a little more um openness and like okay i'm gonna try to understand people which uh people who know me i'm I'm more of like a direct physical like you you say is just like okay let's get things done and even up until even a year ago when people would tell me about they have anxiety well fucking get over it like why are you even worrying about things that aren't going to happen either do it or don't like that was my mindset binary you know and and Mm -hmm. now i can understand Harder for me to empathize or sympathize with them, but at least I won't give them shit. I won't tell them, hey, quit being this, quit being that. There's part of part of it. And people think empathy means like identifying with it. And that's not it. It just means you understand that the way this person feels or reacts is them. It's it's not a matter of sympathizing so much as it is understanding. You don't have to agree why someone's pissed off or sad. You just have to understand that they're pissed off or sad. Well, I don't want to take too much more of your time, but for my listeners, I want them to know, hey, I have been on a search for a hypnotherapist and I'm going to reach out to Jay Robert later on to have a session and I'll report back how things go with that. Awesome. And another thing also is an offer just non-conditional or anything. If you want to practice Spanish and or German, you know, you can reach out and we can do that. Uh, that's fine. It's, uh, awesome. Definitely want to practice more of my Spanish and also my German because I have been lacking and at least I have a polyglot that'll be willing to try. Right now I'm having to scramble to keep up with my Russian, but I, like, oh, I understand for every like five to eight Russian lessons I do, I'll make myself sneak in a couple of German lessons just to kind of keep that up and keep that going. But yeah, no, absolutely, man. That'd be cool. And like, like I said, I think doing a session and then talking about it on air would be very good because that would help people get an understanding of what this is, which is really a lot of the reason why I do so many of these interviews is I'm trying to reach as many people as possible from as many different angles as possible, which is why here we're talking about relationships, all these different ways for people to understand this thing that I do and understand that it's helpful and that it's natural and that the there's no reason for you to feel bad in life, to think a way that you don't want to, to feel a way that you don't want to. There are, there are things you can do 
It's one of the things I always say is when you have a toothache, you go to a dentist. When you feel sick, you go to a doctor. When you're afraid or you want to feel a different way, who do you go to to not take drugs? And the answer is a hypnotherapist to change the way you think, to change the way you behave and perceive. And that's it. Thank you so much, Jay Robert, for being on the show. Thanks for having me. To my listeners, thank you so much for being here. I love you. You're worthy of it. And until next time, vessels.